Unchained Rock Show, All Talk with Steve Harrison. You're listening to ARFM with me, Steve Harrison. Now, my next guest uh, is a celebrated and illustrious career in excess of, well, 35 plus years, according to the nice PR blurb that we get sent. I'm sure sometimes it doesn't always need reminding uh, of how long people have envied his uh, dexterous virtuosity, uh, but about to release his 19th studio album, The Elephants of Mars, on April the 8th. Uh, what an absolute pleasure to be talking to Mr. Joe Satriani. Joe, how are you doing? I'm very good. Nice to talk to you, Steve. Hey, good to talk to you as well. So when people say, oh, Joe, how long have you been in the business? And you just say, well, a while. Is that what you say? Rather than the 35 plus years. <laughs> uh, especially since uh, I, I remember uh, my first performance at uh, Car Place High School Dance, Long Island, New York, when I was uh 14 years old and i'd only been playing guitar for uh, less than a year and i was petrified so i i never faced the audience <laughs> and you know we we set up on this little temporary uh set of risers right underneath the basketball hoop uh where we hung our one horn which is our pa system uh Oh my God! But uh, and there's a photograph of it. So that, I mean, uh, yeah, it seems like this is all I've ever done and all I've ever wanted to do. So um, <laughs> happy as can be. Yeah, absolutely. So and why and why change that? So Joe, let's just get straight to business. I have been fortunate to have a preview copy uh, of the album, uh, The Elephants of Mars. Uh, you've released a couple of singles off it. One just recently, Faceless, and already Sahara. Uh, and uh, a, a cracking album, a banger of an album to coin a, a, a new type phrase. Uh, but of course, uh, an eclectic musical mix, if I do say so. So, um, uh, and some really interesting things that I've sort of drawn from the album is a everybody will draw various things from it, as you will have sort of drawn various things to put into the album. Uh, so uh, let, let's start with the title, if I may, The Elephants of Mars. So where does uh, where does that sort of spring from? Oh, you know, my <laughs> imagination, uh, <laughs> yeah. it knows no bounds, I guess, when it comes to crazy stories. So <laughs> I, I created this sound uh, and this uh, little mini song, and it kind of uh, surprised me because it, it reminded me of some kind of, you know, not normal, gigantic elephant snorting <laughs> android robotic alien something. And uh, it, that, you know, the, the music grew and grew and I had a, a demo of it set and I started to think about the backstory about, you know, how would I develop a story around this sound? And I came up with this science fiction story uh uh, that in the future, uh, Earth scientists uh, figure out a way to terraform the planet Mars. And then uh, it's very successful, but unbeknownst to them, they create in some little pocket of the planet uh, a race of gigantic sentient elephants that uh, eventually are very upset with the, with the corporations of Earth that are simply mining this beautiful new terraformed Mars to death because they just want the minerals and and water and things like that. So they get together with a guitar playing colonist, of course. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, he just happens to be a rock guitarist in the future. Um, 
and uh, they decide to uh, to liberate the planet from the evil corporations of Earth and keep Mars a new pristine uh, place for humanity and elephants. And so <laughs> I thought, okay, that's that's sufficiently in- insane. Uh, and then so the good thing is, is that like when you get that thing going, it gives you artistic license to try any sound, any weird arrangement. And then when you tell your band, everybody laughs and says, okay, I guess <laughs> play whatever i want you know uh and so yeah the story becomes a wonderful uh creative infection you know what i mean and everybody sort of jumps on board and uh and and having it the title track also kept everybody in the right frame of mind for the whole album yeah yeah Uh, as you said it's very eclectic record it goes everywhere and um yeah, staying focused is important when you're trying to finish a project like that. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's like, it's, so is it, I suppose, is it technically a concept album? Because there are big swathes of it, and again, been fortunate to listen to it, that it's almost has like a, a 70s, almost crime thriller sort of vibe feel to it, and then it shoots off a little bit off tangent, and I'm just thinking, you know, they obviously, uh, I'm, I'm, all the track list is out there, but people haven't heard it. Sort of the East 104th Street, New York City, 1973, into Pumping. And then all of a sudden, it's like Dance of the Spores that just sort of takes you off like 70s crime vibe into, well, you've just gone into a time warp into another dimension. It's one of those. <laughs> You're very perceptive, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I have to say that uh, sometimes you you adopt a couple of different themes when you're working on a record, Yeah, you know, parameters for performance or writing and, and sound production. Uh, and, and then just sort of like the heart and soul of the album. And you get surprised as you go along because the, the songs grow as people bring in interesting ideas to the project Yeah, and you start to gain more insight into something that you've started, you know, cause it really, it's like a garden. It really starts to grow. And you go, wow, there, there are perhaps a couple of themes here. And although I didn't start out thinking it was going to be a concept record, you know, <laughs> all about Mars, every once in a while, something would happen. Like, um, here's a perfect example is that when uh, Ear Music decided that uh, Sahara would be a great song to, to lead off uh, the album yeah. and, and make the first single, uh, uh, ZZ, my son, got the idea that even though the song was not about Mars, that we should make the video all red just to tie it into the theme of the elephants of Mars. And it's very interesting. And I thought, okay, that's a really interesting take from somebody outside the project who comes in, listens to everything and says, I can make this relate, you know, and uh, the video that's coming up that we shot last week for the title track is so bizarre. (laughs) And, and, you know, uh, I'm happy to say my son thinks uh, like I do, uh, which is he entertains the craziest ideas and then tries to figure out how to get it done. So, um, but uh, th- there was no overall theme like with Shockwave Supernova uh, yeah. or let's say even going way back to like the extremists where it was just classic rock, yes. you know, where yeah, I, yeah. I tried to really focus it. Uh, this time around, my themes were write better, arrange better, play better, get better sound, make a make the best Joe record ever. That, yeah. Those were the, you know, I mean, that was like written down like everywhere in my studio. <laughs> I could not escape, uh, you know, those requests by myself, you know, internal requests. Uh, so 
Uh, those were the themes, really. Yeah. Um, did you sort of record it in a different way then? Obviously, all these little post-it notes all over reminding you, Joe, play better, <laughs> write better, do it better. <laughs> so did you, did you have a different approach to it then, other than all the post-it notes reminding you what yes, to do? Yeah, I, don't know. I know you can't see, but I don't know how you can see that. Oh, but I do post-it. Have post-it notes like that <laughs> um, you know, here's the funny thing is that uh, you can see that behind me, you know, there's my Marshalls and and uh, uh, the Fender amps and PVs and EVH, all, all kinds of cool amps I have. Um, but even though we recorded just about every possibility of the guitar, in the end, I wound up using a Sansam plugin for all the guitar sounds on the album. Right. And that really blew us away because we didn't plan on it, you know. Right. Every time I would record direct, I would I would reamp into the proper you know vintage amp or yeah. the proper new modern thing. Uh, but in the end, when we went to A B, all the guitar sounds next to each other, we'd say like, "Wow, listen to that one! Yeah. That one sounds like Joe is like right right next to you." And uh, and and it turned out it was Sansamp, <laughs> the, the avid plugin from from the nineties. So. Uh, now, in all fairness, our mix engineer, uh, Greg Collar, was able to take, you know, my guitar recordings and he'd bring them out and into the real world when he was mixing and put them into like Les Paul's original LA two-way. He's got like eight Fairchilds, you know, original, beautiful tube wow. limiters and uh, and wonderful EQs. Uh, it was mixed at John Bryan's studio in Burbank and John graciously let us use all the cool gear he's got there. So... Um, it, it was really uh, remarkable how in, in such an easy uh, way of recording uh, that eventually before it gets to the fans and their, and their ears, it goes through some legendary gear <laughs> and it's by some super talented people. So Greg and Eric did an amazing job of, of mixing these sounds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and clearly evident on the album. If I can just ask about a couple of tracks on the, on the album. Uh, and yeah. I'm just thinking sort of where you drew, drew the inspiration from uh, and whether there was sort of some either really well thought out or random reference. So, uh, Sailing the Seas of Ganymede. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, is that a Doctor Who reference from the UK, Tom <laughs> Baker era, like late 70s, 80s? Or is it like the Greek mythology? Or is it just the fact that, yeah, it's a moon of Jupiter? So tell us a little bit about that. Are you a Doctor <laughs> Who fan secretly? Is that what you're telling me, Joe? Yes, well, of course I am. Uh, but this... <laughs> This story couldn't be more different. So uh, really quick, I'll try to make this short for you. Um, right. The Jimmy Fallon show in the United States, uh, TV show, uh, The Roots, uh, with Questlove as the leader and the drummer, right? So yeah. I've done the show a few times. Each time you go there, what is so funny is you're in New York City, Rockefeller Center, big TV show, and you go to rehearse before the show and it's the smallest room you could ever imagine <laughs> right. for all for this big band of stellar musicians and then Questlove is stuck in this teeny little compartment in this teeny little room you're literally standing right up against your amp holding your guitar like this and when anybody walks in the door you have to kind of you know move to the side <laughs> and I, I remember thinking like this is really comedy you know this is like how can such a you know, a big person musically and talent and everything like Questlove be stuck in this teeny little thing, you know? And it was just one of those funny things that stuck in my brain. So I thought, where, where should he be? Where would I imagine 
somebody so talented and dynamic, where would he be? And I, I imagined him for some reason, you know, uh, sailing his gigantic sail ship, you know, <laughs> like the things people would sail a few hundred years ago across some ocean with, you know, 200 foot cresting waves and just wild weather and sea dragons and all kinds <laughs> of crazy things. And he's there, you know, uh, uh, you know, bracing against all elements. And I thought, well, it's just got to be some because someplace interesting because the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans aren't exotic enough. So I <laughs> yeah. thought, oh, how about the, the, the idea that there are underground oceans uh, on, the, uh, on the moon, Ganymede, and that's where he is. And so I just kind of built this whole thing wow. up. And, uh, uh, and, and that sort of gave me the, the artistic license to just like make the song as strange as possible. And I did things musically that I'd never done before, like dropping keys, yeah, you know, instead of ascending keys, which is kind of like a rule, uh, you know, when you're writing music to always go up, you know. And I thought, no, I'm going to go the other way because <laughs> everyone's going that way. Yeah. I'm going that way. And, and I just tried to make it so unusual because I kept thinking that's what it would be like for Questlove if that's where he was. Yeah. And uh, so you can imagine... I had to explain this to everybody every time we worked <laughs> on the song and they'd be like, huh, what? But uh, yeah, that's how that got started. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, the other, the other one then, uh, in terms of uh, an interesting, when you sort of, you know, you do your bit of research and I'll try to, uh, through a Mother's Day Darkly. So where does that start? And of course, with the sort of opening sort of uh, speech sequence and then that sort of transferred later on into the song. So tell us a little bit yeah. about the idea. About, and is that you actually doing the, the sort of uh, speak, speaking parts on the, on the track? Uh, the voiceover is my writing partner at Satch Tunes. His name is Ned Evett. He's a singer, songwriter, guitar player. Yeah. Uh, we've been uh, partners for about eight years or so. I think yeah. we started Satch Tunes and... Uh, Crystal Planet is our, our ongoing project, a uh, comic book series yes. that we do with Incendi. And um, uh, so actually that his addition was the very last second to the last thing that happened on that song. So that song I wrote and recorded very quickly on Mother's Day. And I sent it out to the guys, which I thought was funny in itself to send an audio Mother's Day card to a bunch of dudes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but they, they all sort of messaged me back, you know, saying, oh, that should be on the album, you know. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because it doesn't really have verse, chorus, bridge. You yeah, know, yeah. it's just, you know, it's sort of like a big seven string guitar statement, you know. And uh, so I looked at it and I thought, OK, I could sort of bolster some parts up by adding a little guitar here and there. And Eric, uh, my uh, producer and uh, editor and also a keyboard player, uh, started to add more and more orchestral bits to focus on this guitar imp improvisation I yeah, had done. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, everyone started to add stuff to it. We got Kenny on there and uh, doing what he thought would be the cool thing. And then we got Brian to go in and drop his stuff uh, in there. And then uh, Eric had the idea of, of calling Ned to see if he would do something. And uh, Ned had the idea to, to use the Crystal Planet dialogue because he's written the novel and, you know, we've got many scripts as yes. well as the comic book. Uh, so he, he did that. He was in Galveston, Texas. And I, I got to remind you, we're all everywhere. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're just, <laughs> we are spread around the globe. So we're doing this remotely. So when it finally comes back to me, 
I've got Ned, I've got the full band, and I think, okay, I need another incongruous thing. So I added a really clean blues guitar in the beginning because I thought it was so unusual to hear that and, and to, to sort of introduce Ned. And then all of a sudden you hear the seventh string come in uh, and, and, yeah, put a smile on my face just because it was so disjointed and somehow you know would come together with the groove yeah because it sort of feels like it's you know obviously in terms of a bit of a sort of a dystopian sort of theme through it in terms of like you know maybe that, that lyric element but i also thought because of the title track and i'm always fascinated from instrumental albums where the titles come from and i was thinking because mother's day you know according to national geographic was an anti-war movement created in the 1850s uh and <laughs> and it was mother of mothers and i was like oh i wonder if that's because obviously with this you've just explained eloquently there about the ideas of the elephants of mars and everything else i'm thinking like that could actually be a bit of an idea that you're thinking oh it's actually it's an it's an anti-war song really from from joe yeah you know i I'm a, i love the movie through a scanner darkly and oh, yeah, uh, yeah. that was the first time that i was introduced to that phrase yes you know through a bug love darkly and then i i then i i knew about the the novel uh, which I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And uh, but uh, the phrase is just so interesting. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes you, you do you get influenced by something way over on right field, and you take it way over to left field. If I can use a baseball reference, and uh, and something new comes from it. So that that's a perfect example. Uh, and again, how everyone would uh, contribute. You know, once once they had the song, at, at, you know. And they were alone in their home studio for a while without me pestering them or anybody else. <laughs> yeah. They could sort of come up with their own idea about what they wanted to do. And when they would throw it back, we'd all go, oh, wow, didn't think of that. Like, that's cool. Let's yeah. keep that, you know? Yeah, indeed. Now, if, uh, you mentioned a moment ago about, about sort of your yeah, sort of orchestrations and that sort of organizing and, and mapping out the tracks. Uh, and uh, in terms of orchestrations, and it's not a name drop. Recently, I was very fortunate to, in uh, to interview Steve Vai just recently about his new album. Yeah. And he's going to be working with uh, the um, Symphonic Orchestra in the Netherlands in Maine uh, of later on this year before his tour starts. You've recently or last year did a, a couple of tracks with uh, Kit Wakeley. So I just wondered, is that something that you've sort of considered like Joe Satriani, full sort of symphonic orchestration? And I'm not thinking like <laughs> the Ingui with his sort of with his orchestra. But I just, is that something that interests you? Or are you thinking like, yeah, no, that's not for me. I'll do little sort of bits. Or is that on the cards? Could that ever be on the cards? Yeah, I'm sure it could be uh, <laughs> if the right offer comes along. Um, it's funny, you know, when I think about it, I, I do this sort of uh, back step where I ask myself anytime I get at, uh, an opportunity in music, I say, uh, you know, like that looks like fun, but is that really what I, what I'm trying to accomplish? And then I take a step back and I say, okay, now, now that I'm here, is this the area that I really want? What am I trying to really accomplish? And yeah. I always come back to, I want to write really great songs. I want to write just super strong melodies that live on forever. I yeah. want to challenge what people think is acceptable harmony uh, and come up with new chord progressions and, and new scenarios to put melodies on. Um, and I want everything to have a great groove. So if that's not happening, you know, if this new opportunity that comes up does not help that, yeah, then I go, well, that's okay. You know, <laughs> you know, so 
it's not like I'm rushing to go play with an orchestra just because I like violins and horns and yeah. kettle drums. I, I can get those on my computer. <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just a flavor because ultimately when somebody is uh, walking down the street, driving their car, cooking dinner for the kids, whatever, and they've got music on streaming, they really don't know if that's the London Philharmonic, the Prague Philharmonic, uh, the L.A. Philharmonic, <laughs> yeah. or if it's somebody with a really good Cubase plug in <laughs> adding the violin in there. You know what I mean? They just they just like, I like that music. I don't like that music. Yeah. They let it play or they change the channel. You know yeah. what I mean? So I always go back to that. It's about the music, not about the production. And I know that's a funny way of looking at it because I am in show business and I understand <laughs> I'm supposed to show up <laughs> and do a show. Right. However, I'm just, I just really focus on the creativity of the melody and the harmony and the song. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, those are the most important elements. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you just had your guitar on your lap, then I thought you were just going to give us a quick demonstration of sort of melody harmony. But uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another time because I've got I've got plenty more questions. I can talk to you all day. You recently, okay. obviously, a recent move to uh, Ear Records then. So um, uh, after a number of years, how did that come about? And was that a, uh, a sort of a, a, a timely transition in the sense that it was right time and felt right for you? And, and I don't mean that in a sort of, you know, oh, it was bad, so I had to leave and then, then I moved to Ear Records in that sense. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, you know, that record deal with Sony was so wonderful, Yeah. but it did date back to 1989. So that means that I think for the last 15 years, I was in option periods, which oh, wow. for people outside the business, basically when you sign a, a deal with a record company, you sign for a set number of albums, let's yeah. say, you know, 10, um, no one does 10 records anymore, but look back in the day, you know, 10 records. And then they say, added to that we have the option to ask for three more let's yeah, say you yeah. know and so they the option period was really long <laughs> and it just you know every two years i was calling my manager saying are they letting me go or do they <laughs> did they just order another album i never knew what was going to happen right uh, but the weird thing was is that i outlasted everybody at sony that was the weirdest thing <laughs> is that so all the presidents were gone. Yeah. All the A&R people were gone. Everyone that I knew that helped me make all these great records in the catalog, they were all gone. And the only person I knew there was Mary Thayer, and she had just arrived a year earlier. Great production manager, but we didn't have any history together. Yeah. And so when they came back and they said, well, the, believe it or not, that 89 contract is finally over. So <laughs> wow. what should we do? <laughs> And I was like, you know, I still want to keep doing these things. And they're like, you know, I think Sony wanted me to like become a TikTok star or something <laughs> like that. And I was like, well, you know, let's leave that to the kids. I don't know. You've got, you've got ZZ producing and doing your video. So maybe that collaboration could merge into TikTok. Come on. I don't know. You know, I'm a firm believer in letting, you know, giving space to the new generations. Let, let Give them the space that they deserve to, to do what's new. So... Uh, uh, and I had been associated with uh, Ear Music for over 10 years because uh, Max Vaccaro at, uh, at Ear Music had signed Chickenfoot outside the yep. U.S. So we've been good friends and musical comrades since then. We really hear and see music very similarly, you know. Yeah. And so um, we kept thinking one of these days, if it ever happens, you know, that you become a free agent, you know, give me a call. And uh, so it seemed like a really good time. 
uh, and uh, they, uh, you know, through Max's guidance, you know, had the same approach that Sony did, which is whatever you want to do, just let us know when you're done, you know, (laughs) and if you need any help getting it done, give us a call. (laughs) Right. So that's great because we, you know, over here in our camp, we like to do what we like and not get any interference yeah you know? yeah, yeah indeed indeed uh, i'm conscious of time joe so just a, another sort of quick question from me um, um in the sense that uh, obviously you just mentioned their chicken foot and i know that you talked that extensively around that vet previously and that the sort of you know the door generally is always open involved in sort of the, the g3 aspect but outside yeah. of that and away from the sort of solo touring, do you ever sort of consider like a shorter collaboration? And I'll tell you why, because just recently, like last week or earlier this week, uh, uh, Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden and Richie Cotson just toured the UK. Smith Cotson. Do you fancy? Yeah. And I've just got me, I've got a Paul Gilbert Ivan as I took it off the wall just recently. It's just down here. And I think, <laughs> do you ever fancy doing like a, I don't know, a Satch Gilbert sort of little uh, album and a tour? Something like that. That's not G3 or the G4 involvement. Like, you know, let's just do a little, put an album out like Smith Cotson. And does that ever take your fancy? You and Paul Gilbert it would could, be great. Yeah. That would be great. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it really depends on the artist and what and what they're into at that moment. Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, I think that's always the case. Like with Chickenfoot, it was just a great outside opportunity. Yeah. And once we got on stage together, we went, "Hey, this feels really great." So we didn't really overthink it, uh, and it wasn't planned by someone in the industry. It was yeah. just got getting together and playing and, and realizing the obvious. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's always in the cards. I know I've been talking a lot to, to Steve and Eric. Uh, they both have a uh, new records and, uh, they're both playing great. Steve's album is just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, if people haven't heard it, they should go out and get it. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, we're, we've already started talking about the possibility of doing a G3 sometime next year, ah. uh, as a kind of an anniversary, uh, to the original one, the yeah, very yeah. first one we did together. So, uh, there's always that I rem- possibility. I remember it well. I remember it well. <laughs> Coming to the UK, indeed. What about, what about the other, what about live thing uh, for you then, Joe, in terms of obviously we, ha- we haven't even mentioned the P word and I'm constantly, I've got about 60 seconds, uh, the pandemic oh. and COVID. So, you know, how does that sort of meet out with you in terms of wanting to sort of get some live shows under your belt and obviously get out there and, uh, and demonstrate how great the album is, you know, sort of post April. Yeah, I know. I know here we are again. Uh, we, uh, just w- were able to go public this week, uh, uh, in association with our European partners to unfortunately say we've had to postpone once again yeah. to 2023, same shows, same venues, same yeah. dates. Uh, thank God that took forever to put together. And I just, uh, I have great admiration for the promoters, the venue operators and my agent for somehow figuring that out. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but we do have a tour of the U S uh, that sh- the, the date should go public pretty soon, starting in late September of this year. Yeah. So this year seems like we're starting to really, uh, you know, return to some kind of normal, new normal, whatever, as far as <laughs> Indeed, yeah. and we can finally get, you know, the elements of Mars and shape-shifting on stage in front of people and uh, and celebrate some music together. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Listen, Joe, we shall call it there. Uh, an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Uh, wish you every success with the release of the Elephants of Mars, April the 8th. Uh, and uh, it'll be great to see you back in the UK, 
well, 2023 it looks like now. So uh, it's always <laughs> a pleasure having you over here uh, and a pleasure to chat with you, Joe. Thanks very much for uh, giving us your time. Uh, thank you very much. Great to talk to you.